have a whole host of people, heroes maybe, people that we look up to, people that in a sense maybe we're even in awe of. And we use that word, in awe of. We say, well, if I met them, what if I messed up? What if I said the wrong thing? What if I, you know, didn't ask them the questions that I'm longing to ask them? And there is a sense of kind of not wanting to get it wrong, a sense of other, a sense of looking up. And the word awe has been hijacked slightly in our society uh, Jeff Lucas famously said not long ago in one of his books, everything is not awesome. <laughs> because the Americans, and now us as well, awesome has become kind of a, a very easy word to say. It rolls off the tongue. We say it about, oh, I saw this play, it was awesome. I went to this match, it was awesome. And actually, in a way, that's a slight hijacking of what the word awe really, really means in the context of scripture and in the context of us gathering here today. And I think, if I may be a little bit bold here, I think it's quite hard for us at Riverside. If we had a beautiful building, not knocking this, it's lovely, but you know what I mean, if we came in to church on a Sunday with a sense of transcendence, with a sense of beauty. Now, I'm a visual person, so that means a lot to me. I would love that. I love walking into a church that is just stunningly beautiful. And it does something. It does something. We, we, we can't do that in physical terms in the same way. We try, but we can't. But actually, it's God who we're in awe of. It's his presence that actually can give us goosebumps on the back of our necks sometimes, that shakes the building where these gatherings are happening in the book of Acts, that actually his power is so transcendent of anything humanity can do or try to do that these people literally, not only are they shaken, but the whole building is shaken where they are. And the word awe has been described as the 11th emotion. It's a shared emotion. It's something that actually strikes people often when we're together because we see something and we're in awe of it. We're in awe if we watch a captivating sunset. Sometimes our words run out. I remember being on Mount Sinai having communion after we'd walked the desert trail and just seeing the sun come up and having communion. And we were silent because our words ran out because of awe. And actually, there are those beautiful, transcendent moments that we long for, that actually where God wants to meet with us. So back to that question about who do we want to meet with? You know, almost scared maybe to meet with our heroes in case they don't live up to our expectations. But what we know when we meet with God is he will always exceed our expectations. As Vicky reminded us, he is faithful no matter what, no matter what it is that we're facing. And I love this little picture of a child looking at a beautiful sunset. And, and actually, that's how we feel sometimes in God's presence. We feel very small. Awe makes us smaller, and it makes God bigger. Awe is reverence. It's actually a sense of saying, I am so, so in awe of your power, of your presence, of your magnitude. And actually, as we're looking at prayer and we're looking at try praying and we're perhaps sharing that with our friends and colleagues, all of this really comes out of our own relationship 
with the majesty and power of God. Remember, just before the passage, the apostles are told, Peter and John are told, be quiet, stop it. Stop talking about this Jesus. Stop talking. Stop healing. Don't mention his name. And what do they say? They say, how can we not speak of this? How can we not speak of what we have seen and heard? And sometimes we're the opposite of that, aren't we? We think, oh, I've got to do evangelism. <laughs> you know, it's a terrible phrase, isn't it? What does that even mean? You know, we think, oh, we've got this try praying. I've got to, I've got to give out a booklet. <laughs> but actually, that's not the heart of this at all. The heart of this is we have been privileged through Christ to meet daily, hourly with the living God. That at Easter time, the curtain that used to divide man from this transcendent, awesome being, they couldn't go in to the inner sanctum. And yet, when Jesus died, and I find this extraordinary, that the hour that Jesus died, that curtain ripped in two. That is a physical but supernatural phenomenon all at the same time that suddenly we had access. Imagine the first people that went through. The awe and trembling. I'm sure they fell to their knees. But that's us this morning in this school hall. We're here in his sanctuary. And actually we stand in awe of a really, really powerful God. In this passage... We see three things that actually the power of awe, the power of God, can do as we rediscover it. One thing is it refuels our witness. Peter and John can't shut up about it because they have seen God at work, and it is so extraordinary. And you and I know that actually witnessing to our faith isn't hard when we've seen God do something incredible, is it? If we like to chatter, and I do, then I will tell people, this is what God's done. When I first became a Christian at the age of 19, I was out on the streets telling people about it after one day, because I I just couldn't believe it, because I'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I, I didn't even know, I just knew that I felt completely different to anything I'd ever experienced before. And therefore, I couldn't help but want to tell people And actually, when we find our mission waning, when we find that actually we no longer want to share, we have to go back, not to the duty of it, but to the delight of it. That actually, if we're in awe of God, that means we joyfully fear him. That's quite hard for us to even put into words, isn't it? What we really feel when we come in awe of God's presence, when we come in awe of who he is. But actually, it refuels us in actually seeing. They'd seen him do a miracle. They were asked to be quiet about it, but they couldn't. The second thing is it refreshes our worship. Now, I am, as I said, a visual person. I love any documentaries that are about our planet, uh, anything that actually shows the stunning beauty of our creator. And I love it even more when I'm literally uh, seeing it face to face. And uh, a while ago, forgive the slightly cheesy way they've done it, but it is beautiful. It's a compilation of images from Planet Earth series over over a few years that have been put to music. And I, I wanted us to watch this really in the light of recapturing our awe at who God is. And actually, his humor is in creation. His beauty, his power, his attention to detail, all 
really played out. Interestingly, when the believers pray, as Sarah read for us, what do they say? They say, God, you made the heavens and the earth. You made the seas. You made everything in it. So they've been asked to be quiet, and what do they do? They gather everyone together, and they start saying, this is who God is, and he's amazing. So let's watch this, and uh, as part of our worship this morning, let's just rediscover our awe at who God is and what he's done for us in creation. There's a quotation uh, that Tim Keller uses in one of his books that says, pity the man who falls in love with creation yet has no one to thank. And uh, I, I just think the magnitude of God, the awe of him, is, is in all of those photographs, really, one way or another, both in the big and the small, the vastness. And I, I think there's a sense where God is calling us back to that position of awe at this Easter week, this Holy Week, this week that is set apart. As we approach Holy Week, it's Palm Sunday uh, today, and as we approach Holy Week at the start, there was something transcendent, a way that Jesus came in on the donkey, that actually people were hallowing his name, they were praising him, and then as Sarah said earlier, then suddenly they were denying him and killing him. And there's a call I felt really as I was praying this week on us as church to really step back into this place of awe, this place of wonder. Mike Starkey has written a fantastic book called Restoring Our Wonder, where he says, go back to your childlike worship really of who God is. Have we lost our ability to wonder and to stop and stare? Uh, there's a lovely bit in uh, The Wind in the Willows. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you uh, grew up, I grew up reading that, where Ratty and Mole finally go to meet the animal god, uh, Pan. And uh, there are pipes and the river and this beautiful sort of scene. And they're standing in front of their god, if you like, in, uh, in this Ratty and Mole. And Mole turns to Rat and he says in a whisper, shaking, are you afraid? And Rat says, afraid, afraid of him, never. And yet, Mole, I am afraid. And there's something in that. I remember reading it as a child and just sort of not quite getting it. But when we revisit that, there's something about the kind of collision of the fact that we are in awe of God, that we think absolutely we fear him, and yet, how can we fear the God that's reached out to us as friend? So we do have this dichotomy, if you like, of God as God of the universe, God of all of this, but also friend. Moses in Exodus, if you remember in Exodus 33, he says he would like to meet. He would like, he said, God, can I meet with you in all your glory? And God says, no. He says, the only bit of you can see is my outskirts or behind me. He only lets Moses see the back of him, as you read at the end of the chapter. And he says, why? Because it would kill him. That if he met God face to face, he would die. So he only lets him see his back. And interestingly, God saves Moses from death by being God. And he saves you and I for the same reason. That he actually saves us through Jesus from death. 
And his presence is something that actually, when we experience it, when we truly sit or stand in his presence, there's that thing where you just don't want to move, isn't there? When you think, I could just stay here. But of course, we do need to move. And actually, we do need to move into our day. But we get to carry that transcendence with us, that, that awe with us as we look around the day, almost with different eyes. It revives our faith to pray. As we look at what happens here in this chapter, that actually they declare, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord. Herod, Pilate, they say everyone has tried to quash this gospel message and yet it prevails and we worship here today. And so they're, they're basically Peter and John are getting everyone together and they're saying we can't be quiet about this because God is so powerful that actually even nations who rage against him and against each other can be silenced. And I think as we pray for our world at the moment, there's a sense again of coming back to the fear of God again. That actually if we fear God, then we want to honour him. If we fear what God can do, he started this world and he can end it. And actually there's a real sense as we pray for our nation at the moment, as we pray for our world, that we come to an awesome God who is in control, even when it seems to us everything is spinning out of control. And in your personal life, in your personal situations this week, where it feels like it's spinning out of control for you, remember the power that is in the living God the power to heal. This whole explosion in Acts happens in Acts chapter 2 where they are filled with awe and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they live differently. They share their possessions. They have everything in common. By Acts chapter 4, there are no poor left amongst them because they experience so much of his presence that they then go out and pray in faith, that they pour out into the community. And that all comes from our worship. So I just think it's brilliant that you're here this morning. Whatever it has cost you to be here, it is brilliant, because we're here to just stand in awe. And Gary and Helen are going to lead us in a moment in a time of extended worship, deliberately, where we stand in awe again of who God really is where we like that child on the seashore looking out at the vastness of who God is. We place ourselves feeling maybe very small and we magnify his name together. And every time you and I magnify his name, actually our problems start to shrink, don't they? But what often happens, as we heard last week, that Paul and Silas were, were thrown into prison. What they could have done is had a massive pity party. Instead, they had a praise party. And what happened after that was an earthquake and was their freedom. But first came praise. And I am convinced, and I have been ever since I read not only the Bible, but a book called From Prison to Praise that my dad gave me for Christmas years and years ago. I've never been more disappointed with a Christmas present um, when I opened it in my life and never been more impacted by one. It's funny, isn't it? I was like, yeah, thanks, Dad. Um, but genuinely, it is about that, prison to praise. And actually, sometimes we start with prison where God wants us to come in praise and just say, God, you are bigger than this. You are able. We stand in awe of who you are. So as we come, and maybe uh, Gary and Helen would like to, to start to come up, um, I wanted us just to, there's a, a lovely kind of prayer, really, uh, of putting ourselves back into that position 
um, as we come to look at who, who God is to us. Let's just be quiet and I'll read this for us. God is here. Within these walls. Before me. Behind me. On my right hand. At my left, he who fills immortality has come down to be with me here. I am now about to bow at his feet, to speak to him. I can pour forth my desires to him, and not one syllable from my lips will escape his ear. I can speak to him as I would to the dearest friend, and yet in his hands he holds the whole of the earth. Lord, we just thank you for that truth today, that you are our advocate, that in you we have that great high priest, that one who intercedes for us, that one who prays for every person here today. And God, we, we just remind ourselves, we say to our soul. Awake, soul, be filled with awe. Forgive us for our apathy and fill us afresh, we pray, with a sense of your power, a sense of your might, a sense of who you are and what you are able to do. We look at rebuilding our faith to pray in the light of this awe, in the light of actually looking at who God is, magnifying him. Calvin says that a sense of awe is a crucial part of prayer. It both requires it and produces it. It both requires our awe and produces it. When we pray, it requires awe as we think of just how blameless God is, just how holy God is. As we come into his presence, Gerard Kelly said recently, we have changed almighty God into almighty God. And I do think, I don't know whether that's his original quote or whether he got it from somewhere else, but I do think we've done that. I know I have sometimes, that I've loved his friendship so much that I've perhaps forgotten that reverence, that awe that the Bible speaks of as well. And there is some reassuring uh, pieces of scripture that help us with this. We've already heard a couple of them, which was wonderful. Uh, Psalm 96, verse 9 says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. And if fearing God was something you grew up with, this might be more tricky. You might say, well, the fear God bit I get. It's the friendship of God that I find difficult. And it's hard for us because there will be drivers from our background, from the parenting we've received as well, that will perhaps draw us to perhaps more towards the fear of God or, or the love of God. But actually, both come when we worship him and we lay our hearts open. And we need to know that he is good. And I love this quote from Ravi Zachariah. When God is our Holy Father, 
Sovereignty, holiness, omniscience do not terrify us. They leave us full of awe and gratitude. Sovereignty is only tyrannical if it is unbounded by goodness. Holiness is only terrifying if it is untempered by grace. Omniscience is only taunting if it is unaccompanied by mercy. That's a beautiful quote to me because it reassures us that even though God asks us to fear him, there's a sense of his mercy and his goodness and the fact that he is for us, not against us. And I think the challenge for all of us at the start of this Holy Week, and I challenge myself in this as well, maybe set apart a special holy hour this week. At some point in the week, I know we all live busy lives, but just at one point in the week to set aside an hour, an hour might feel too much, I don't know, just to sit in the holiness of his presence in Holy Week and to rediscover our awe afresh, the awe of who he is, that reverence for who he is, because out of it will come our witness. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and heard him do. Out of it will come our worship, even as we've just discovered that we stand in awe of who he is. Out of it will come our love for one another because God so loves us that he's poured out his compassion in us through worship so that we can then go and make a difference in the world. So as we carry on with the Try Praying, as we look at the series of prayer across the sites, our heart is that actually it comes out of that heart experience that each of us have. God, I thank you that you are sovereign, that you are king. That on this day we remember you, the King of Kings, riding in, not on a horse as expected in all the pomp and ceremony, but on a donkey, a humble king, a radical king. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and that as you died, that curtain was ripped in two so that we could be in your presence, so that we could come here even today with a sense of your mercy, your goodness, your grace, your closeness, even though you are the God of the whole universe. And Lord, help us reclaim the word awesome, that it is only you that are awesome, and you fill us with awe and wonder at who you are, God, and what you are able to do in us and through us for your kingdom's sake. Thank you that the, the whole building shook because of the presence of your Holy Spirit and that they couldn't help but go and tell what you had done. May that be true of us as Riverside Church, as a body of believers here. In your name we pray. Amen.